All right. Well, hey, my name is Jared Stevens. I'm one of the pastors here at Soul City Church, and so good to see so many of you uh, here tonight. I don't even know you yet or recognize you yet, uh, so it's so cool. I, and, and what's awesome about that is so a lot of, lot of new folks here at Soul City, and then what happens to me lots of times is because I'm up here and, and kind of doing other stuff all over the place, I'll meet people after one of our gatherings, and I'll say, oh, yeah, my name is Jared. So glad to meet you. You know, is it, is it your first time? They're like, no, I've been coming for two months. Like, yes, that, that's you. That's right. I know about you because of me, stupid. So, like, it's so good to see so many of us here together, especially like Jeannie said, when it's so nice out, right? And in our neighborhood coming down here today, uh, you know, all the hipsters are out on their fixies, you know, they're out on their fixed gear bikes and their mustaches properly trimmed and their girlfriend's shorts on. Like, it is spring. <laughs> it is spring in our neighborhood. And so I am, it is good to, uh, to be with you here uh, tonight. We are going to continue, that's how we started the sermon tonight. All right, so we are going to continue in our look at the life of Jesus. Now, as Jeannie mentioned, we are moving towards Easter. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, a huge celebration uh, in the story of Jesus leading to what we're going to celebrate next uh, in two weeks, Good Friday, and then through Easter Sunday morning. And for, like Jeannie mentioned, many folks, especially if you grew up around Chicago, uh, not really going to church that much, you know, you hit Christmas and you hit Easter, but you miss everything in between. And so we're camping out for a few weeks on the life of Jesus. There's not nearly enough time. Our lifetime wouldn't be enough time to explore the life and ministry and specifically tonight teachings of Jesus. We're going to dive in deep to the teachings of Jesus and what it is he had to say and has to say and what our response is to that today. Now, a couple weeks back, I was thinking about all that was coming ahead for our church over the next few months and, uh, and was on a business trip and I was on an airplane and it, it kind of all hit me because, you know, like for those of you, how many of you have flown in the last month? Just like last month you've been on a plane. Okay, great. How many of you flew a helicopter to get here tonight? Okay, okay, good. Uh, so, uh, so I was on the plane and you know how it is, like you're getting kind of settled in and I had all these things, all these thoughts in my head and I'd, my bag with all the things I needed to read and like make sure I had everything on up and I had my headphones on. Right, and so I'm, I'm, I'm there, and, I, and I'm, I got my headphones on, and sure enough, that's when the flight's about to start. And the same thing happens on every flight, and I think somehow that I can get around it every time. And that's the in-flight instructions. Every time that happens, I, I try and figure out a new way to keep my headphones on, but only on the right ear so they don't see it in the aisle, or pretend like I'm asleep. I go to great lengths to avoid the in-flight instructions. Because if you've been on any plane more than once ever in your life, you've heard it before. And it's the exact same since 1947, with the exception of seatbelts and no smoking. Like, it really hasn't changed. Like, basically, you know that there's, they're going to talk at some point about exit aisles. They're going to talk at some point about your seat cushions being used as a flotation device, which always concerns me when I'm not flying over water. I want to know exactly how we're going to use those. And, you know, like... It goes through the whole drill every time. Every time you can tell they don't want to do it. They're up there just going through the motions and doing the points and doing this. You don't want to hear it. And not only is that, like, they've got their bases covered. They've got, some of them use the video, like the Delta, where they kind of use, like, the slightly seductive lady to tell you about it if you've flown Delta. And, like, that's a new approach. You know, they have not only the video, the person live, but they have a book. There's, like, a Bible of flight safety right in front of you at all times, right next to that little white paper bag that you can use for lunch. Like, that, you know, take it or use this, recycling. And so, like, there's a book that tells you with pictures of people who are way too happy who are facing inevitable death. Like, you know, in those pictures, and they go to great lengths to tell you how to save your life. 
And if you're anything like me, you go to great lengths to avoid it. And as I was thinking about on that flight, what we we're going to be teaching and talking about over the course of this month, it began to hit me like, boy, that is, that is so true of what I have done and what many of us have done when it comes to the teachings of Jesus. It's here are these teachings, these truths that are actually there to save your life, to change your life, to transform your life, to give purpose and direction and freedom to your life. And maybe you've heard some of it before. I mean, there's even a book, right? Just like in the airplane, like that explains it all to you. You've heard people's stories talk about it. You've heard it so many times that you just sort of drown it out. And here they are, these teachings, these instructions, this way of living that is actually meant to save and change your life. And for many of us, we hear it, but we do very little about it. If we're just being honest, we do very, very little about it. And our church, this church, Soul City Church, is committed to being grown, to being a church that is built on the teachings of Jesus as found in the Bible, but that we would not just hear them, but they would actually, wait for it, do them, that we would actually do what he says, trust him for what he says, not just believe in him, as we talked about last week, but believe him. And so we are going to dive in deep to the teachings of Jesus. And for some of you, some of this may be familiar stuff. For some of you who maybe don't, haven't done the church thing, you're not, you wouldn't consider yourself or call yourself a Christian, this is another one of those really great nights for you, because this stuff actually isn't about you or for you. You literally get to sit like up on the like lifeguard chair looking down at the rest of the Christians and going, wow, you guys really got some stuff to do. Like, because like the stuff we're talking about, the teachings of Jesus is for people who have said they have engaged in and committed to a life with Jesus. As we looked at last week, a life of following Jesus. And so for anyone in this room or anyone watching online or who's listening to the podcast and considers themselves a follower of Jesus, this stuff is for you. But if you do not, the great thing is you get to like sit back objectively and go, oh, that's really good. They should probably do that. Right? So that's a really great thing. So you might want to take notes and check this out. But for those of us who call ourselves Christians, this is really important stuff because many of us, many of us, many of us have a relationship with Jesus, but so few of us actually take his teachings of what he taught seriously and apply them to our lives. So we are going to dive in deep to the teachings of Jesus. Now, the reality is with the teachings of Jesus is that uh, they weren't meant to be what they have become uh, in modern day Christian experience. And that is today, um, taglines, bumper stickers, t-shirts, sound bites. Like what Jesus was saying was so much more than, hey, you know, quote me on that. Why don't you retweet me on this? Like there was no, this was deeply, deeply uprooting upside down stuff that Jesus was teaching and talking about, right? So this isn't just sort of what we have made it. This stuff, what Jesus talked about and taught about was hard stuff, at times confusing in fact, there are several instances in the New Testament where Jesus teaches a parable. He tells a story. We're going to look at uh, what that means in a second. And his disciples pull him aside and go, huh? What was that? I don't, understand. I don't even understand that. And Jesus even says, it's, it's okay. It's supposed to be a little confusing. Like he intentionally is a little cryptic at times so that people will dive in deep and dig in deep to the meaning of what it is he's talking about. This stuff is literally challenging. This stuff literally is life-changing, full of God's truth, embodied in not only the life of Jesus, but the teachings of Jesus. And when it came to the teachings of Jesus, there are a few different ways that he taught. 
And what I'm doing right now is one of those ways. There are several instances where Jesus has a sort of straightforward sermon, is what we would call it in our modern language, where he literally teaches through, like I am doing now, like a professor might do, uh, like a rabbi, which Jesus was, would do from time to time, where it is straightforward teaching. And you know this when, uh, if you've ever read or heard of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to look at that in a minute. This is some straightforward teaching from the heart of God, from the fulfillment of the Old Testament be now breathed into people through the life and teachings of Jesus, right? So there was straightforward sort of sermon style. That's what, that's what I'm doing right now. Then there was also parables, which Jesus taught in. And parables is kind of an old word that literally means it's like uh, modern day sort of earthy, gritty stories that have a much, much deeper meaning to them. And so these parables that Jesus taught, uh, how many of you have heard of the uh, prodigal son? Just by show of hands. Okay, great. How many of you have heard of the phrase, the good Samaritan? Great. Okay, these are parables. These are not real events that actually happened. These are stories that Jesus would tell that were rich in context and cultural references and metaphors, right? So he'd use everyday normal stuff that normal people like you and me would actually get. He used references from life, everyday life that normal people get, but these metaphors had a much deeper spiritual meaning. So he taught in parables. And then there were other times where Jesus taught through teachable moments, where something significant happened and Jesus took advantage of a moment, a circumstance, a happening to point to a deeper work that God was doing. So this happened when Matthew, the tax collector, which we looked at last week, Matthew, the tax collector, has a party for Jesus. And the Bible says that there were many notorious sinners there, like sinners with rap sheets, right? And so like at this party, the Pharisees bum rush the party and they crash the party. And Jesus uses this moment where the Pharisees are second guessing Jesus to have a teaching moment where he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus said, hear this. And he's talking specifically to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. I have come to seek and save those who are lost, not those who think that they're well. All right, so he takes this circumstance, this moment, and he teaches out of it. Jesus uses several different styles of teaching, but there's a common theme that is being woven through all of it. Frederick Buechner, in his book, one of my favorite books called Telling the Truth, uh, describes the teaching of Jesus like this. He says that Jesus suggests rather than spells out, that he evokes rather than explains, that he catches by surprise, that he doesn't let the homiletic seam show, that he's sometimes cryptic, he's sometimes obscure, sometimes irreverent, but always provocative. And Buechner says he tells stories again and again and again. Jesus is telling stories, using moments, or doing straightforward preaching like this. So many different means and methods which, and really the argument could be made that every time Jesus opened his mouth, he was teaching us. Teaching us about who his father is. Teaching us about the way of following Jesus. And not only every time he opened his mouth, every time he moved, he was teaching us something about who God is and who we are meant to be in him. There is not an inch or an ounce or an utterance of Jesus that does not reveal the full heart of God and the way of Jesus. Every single thing he does. In fact, Brendan Manning uh, has been quoted as saying that everything we need to know about God, we find in Jesus. Everything we need to know about God, you can find in Jesus, specifically at times through his teaching. And so what we're going to look at here is his first sermon. So if you have a Bible, you can open to Luke chapter 4. Now, here's the cool thing. If you don't have a Bible, so this is like important because we're basing our church on the teachings of Jesus as found in the Bible. 
If you don't have a Bible, along the side aisles, we have a couple Bibles. And so if you don't have one, just kind of indicate to the person down there or one of the flight attendants will walk by shortly and hand you a Bible. Uh, So if you need one, you can do that. Uh, And we only have, you know, a few, but, you know, let us know. We'll get you one. And you can open to Luke chapter 4. So this is in the New Testament. This is the right side of the Bible. Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at the first sermon of Jesus. And I want you to think about a second. If you were Jesus and you were coming to give your very first sermon... What would you talk about? Like, it's your very first inaugural address. What would you talk about? You're about to literally establish the kingdom of God on earth. Like, everything we see and do around here at this church, I mean, everything we're based on and built on is about to happen through Jesus. What would you talk about if you were going to give your very first sermon, your very first public address? Which topic would you pick? I remember the very first teaching I ever did. I was in eighth grade, and I was having trouble staying awake in church. Normally, because it was about this temperature in our church, and uh, it's nap-inducing. And uh, I, just, I, just was t- I just couldn't stay awake. And I'll be honest, it was boring. It was just so boring. And there were so many choirs and handbells and ways that they tried to get me awake, and it just wouldn't work. And so I just, my parents said, look, you can't keep sleeping in church. And it's not really a comfortable way to sleep. And so I ended up going to the furthest extreme, and I ended up volunteering with the three- and four-year-old Sunday school class. You can't get further away from a sleep than three- and four-year-olds. And so I, I volunteered around there, and one week they asked me if I would do the, le- the little lesson. And this is about a five-minute lesson, which is about four minutes longer than a three- and four-year-old's attention span. And so I prepared this little lesson. I did this little teaching. I used a little shoebox, and I cut out. I had these old G.I. Joes that I hadn't played with for many, many, many years. And um, <laughs> I lowered them in, and I told this whole story, and uh, a story actually that our kids learned in Soul City Kids a couple weeks ago. And it was a, it was a really cool deal. I, I remember like, having this thing. Like, and I look back now, and go, that's the first time I ever taught someone something. So if you were to have your first public address, knowing that you are the Savior of the world, which I was not and still am not, what would you talk about? But we actually have the first recorded sermon of Jesus uh, in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. A little context. Jesus has just been baptized by his cousin John, and he has been in the wilderness, in the desert, for 40 days, fasting, preparing himself for the last three years of his life, which ultimately leads to the cross and an empty tomb. And during those 40 days of fasting, he's tempted by Satan himself, constantly. And so he comes out of that wilderness experience, and he actually comes home. He comes to Nazareth, where he grew up. And so this is kind of a cool thing for a first sermon, your inaugural speech. You have a hometown crowd, which is good. You want that. You want a hometown crowd. And so he's there, and he's coming back, and he's going to teach, actually, in the synagogue in their town. And so everyone's kind of coming around to see, oh, what's going on with Jesus? We haven't heard about Jesus for a while. What's going on? Now he's going to come teach in our synagogue, and Mary's there, and she's made signs, and everyone's holding up their signs, like, go, Jesus, go. And, like, everyone's all there, Right? And they hand Jesus the scroll. He asks for the scroll. He specifically goes back to Isaiah 61, and he intentionally chooses this passage to declare himself in the way of God in his first recorded sermon. This is found in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. This is what Jesus says, quoting Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the who? Poor. Now, this is not where you want to build your base from, okay? Like, I mean, we know politics in this town. We basically invented politics in this town, or at least we made it interesting, right? You don't base your platform on the poor. 
But here we see Jesus saying from Isaiah 61, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the who? Prisoners. Okay, so the 11 of you who I guess haven't gone to jail, uh, when I pause like that, you speak back to me, okay? That's just this little thing we do. It's for me, again, to make sure that you're not asleep so I don't have to get handbells out, okay? So let's try that again. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. There you go. Prisoners, poor prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind to set the who? Oppressed free and to declare, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is where Jesus starts. The spirit of the Lord is on me for he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, the oppressed, the sick, the lame, the overlooked, the prisoners to set people free. This is where he starts. And then he goes one step further. He hands the, rolls the scroll up from Isaiah 61, hands it back to the attendant there, sat down, and the eyes of everyone are on him like, what's he going to do next? 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 And Jesus simply says these words. Here's his sermon. Here's his application. Here's how he wraps it all up. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am Messiah. I am the Savior of this world. I am the one you've been waiting for. And this is the kingdom that God is establishing. Now, at first, it's kind of exciting people. Like, oh my goodness, what's going on? You can kind of read on there. So then his hometown crowd says to him, well, cool. All right, Jesus is going to be king of the universe. Like, so what does that make Nazareth? Are we the capital of the universe? Like, what happens now? And they ask Jesus to do special miracles and provide sort of special favors for Nazareth. And Jesus denies them that. And so this is what happens after his first sermon. Read on, jumping down a few verses. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard that Jesus would not capitulate to their demands of him as Savior and Messiah. So they got up and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow or the edge of the hill on which the town was built in order to what? Throw him off of the cliff. This is his first sermon. This is how he ends his first sermon. They want to kill him from his very first words that he uttered publicly that we have recorded here. And amazingly, Jesus just walked right through the crowd. I want to see what that looked like. I'm, I'm, I love that. He's just like, <laughs> like, you know, just kind of like put on some sunglasses and just sort of walked right through and no one seemed to notice him. I mean, this is interesting, isn't it? Already, 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 there's something different about this Jesus. Everything is different about him, so much so that in his first recorded sermon, at the end of it, they want to kill him. Now, that should be very encouraging to you. No three- and four-year-old wanted to kill me after my first little teaching, right? And for those of you who've done, had a really bad presentation, like at work or at school, odds are no one tried to kill you afterwards, throw you off the Sears Tower, right? Your pickup line didn't work as well as you thought it would or wanted to. She didn't kill you at the end of it, right? This is like, this is where it starts for Jesus. He's saying, look, there's another way, and I'm not the Messiah you think I am. I am so much more. And what Jesus is establishing, even here in this first sermon, is that this teaching of Jesus, this way of Jesus, this life with God here on earth is very, very different from what we'd expected. In fact, the reality of Jesus' teaching is constantly pointing to the fact that upside down is the new normal. Upside down is actually the new normal. 
in the way of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the poor, the oppressed, the broken, the overlooked, the prisoner. People like you and me have preference or seem to be, as Jesus would later say, coming into the kingdom of God. Prostitutes and tax collectors are entering the kingdom of God faster than the rich and religious elite, is what Jesus would later say. There's something different about this Jesus, and there's something different about his teaching. It is upside down in every nature, counterintuitive and countercultural in every way. In fact, there's a phrase that Jesus would often say. He would say this phrase, you've heard it said, but I say, dot, dot, dot. You've heard it said, you know, an eye for an eye, but I say, love your enemies. Like you've heard it said this way and you thought it was supposed to be, these are the rules of the world, but I am telling you the way of God, the kingdom of God is upside down. Because in the kingdom of God and the way of God, the first will be last and the last will be first. In the kingdom of God, this upside down way, you seek to serve. You seek to serve others. This kingdom is utterly upside down. This teaching of Jesus is utterly upside down. So much so that upside down is now the new normal in the way of Jesus and following Jesus. And no clearer is this illustrated than in the Sermon on the Mount. So you have a Bible, jump back to Matthew. I want you to jump back a couple books to Matthew chapter five to the Sermon on the Mount. And this is one of the most famous sermons we have from Jesus. Didn't call it a sermon in his day. We've added that word. But this is Jesus addressing a multitude, a crowd of people. People had been following him. He had been healing people, performing miracles. He had already called his disciples. So now a crowd is following Jesus everywhere he goes. And so he addresses the crowd and does what ends up being a couple chapters worth in our Bibles of teaching, the straightforward sermon style teaching. But look at how he starts the Sermon on the Mount. Look how upside down his teaching is. Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the who... Poor in spirit. Again, here he goes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, or the downtrodden, or those who've been oppressed. Because Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who, what? Mourn. This is not all about the, you know, hee-haw, happy day kind of thing, you know, like where a lot of people fake it till they make it kind of spirituality. Jesus said, no, it's like, blessed are those who mourn, who have lost because they will be comforted. How many of us in here have lost or mourned or wept at an end of a relationship, the loss of a job or a future or a present that we thought we'd have and it just isn't? Jesus says, you know what? Everyone's gonna tell you to just kind of buck up, get through. I'm telling you, blessed are you, lucky are you, special are you who actually mourn because you will be comforted by God. Blessed are the what? Meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not just for physical needs, but for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the who? Merciful. So this is not this doggy dog, you gotta fight your way to the top. No, blessed are the merciful, are those who forgive, for they will actually be shown mercy. Blessed are the what? Pure in heart. The pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted, persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, 
persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Do you see how upside down, how utterly upside down the teachings of Jesus are? Those who thought they were last are actually first. Those who thought they were lost are actually found. This is the way and the teaching of Jesus, a way and a teaching where grace and growth are inseparable, that you cannot have or do one without the other. It is a way, it is a teaching, it is a way where forgiveness flows freely and frees fully. Let me say that again. It is a way so utterly upside down from our world where forgiveness flows freely and frees fully. That's what Jesus taught about. That's what Jesus modeled even on the cross where he begs in his dying last breath for God to forgive the people who were killing him. This is utterly upside down from the way of our world. Jesus is saying, look, those who come to serve instead of being served, get it. The poor and the oppressed and the overlooked actually have a seat at the table and their needs are met by others. This is the way, a way where the appeal of sin is overshadowed by the light of God's love. This is the way. This is what Jesus talked about again and again and again. It's upside down. It's utterly, utterly in every way counterintuitive and countercultural to our world. But recorded all throughout this book are the teachings, the upside-down teachings of Jesus. And so you'd think like, my gosh, we've had this book now for so many years, and so many millions of people have heard the teachings of Jesus. Again, in Jesus' day, when he taught to people, like it was just that moment I'm teaching to you. There was no podcast. There was no one like updating their Facebook status. Oh, oh my God, OMJ, this is what Jesus just said. Like, like no one did that, right? He taught and it was captured by a few and recorded in the Bible. And now, 2,000 years later, millions and millions and millions of people have actually heard this radical, upside-down, counterintuitive, countercultural teachings of Jesus. You would think then that the revolution would have begun by now, that it would be fully realized. But it's not. You know why? Because this stuff's really hard. I mean, it's like, that's hard what Jesus talks about. Like, he honestly probably, I mean, he couldn't have meant all of that, right? And he certainly couldn't have expected me to actually do it, right? Because it's hard. And I don't want to, like, give up that stuff because I kind of like how I have it over here. I know it's, it's probably true, and every time I, I go to church, I feel a little guilty, right? Because I know I probably should be doing that, but... No, everyone's not doing it, so why should I start doing it? This is why the revolution hasn't been fully realized in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. is because of people like me who look at the teachings of Jesus and go, that's good, wow, it's a good metaphor, it's good, it's true, it's good. I'm probably not going to do it, though, because that would change too many things. Like, that actually might change the way I do things. That might change my world. And Jesus is saying, yeah. It has changed the world, and it will change your world. 
Look, the point of all of Jesus' teaching isn't just to sort of hear it and have sort of a religious experience, be it guilty or convicted or whatever you may feel. The point of all of Jesus' teachings is to not just hear them, but to what? Do them. Say it with me. The point of Jesus' teaching, the point of hearing is what? It's doing <laughs> Right? I mean, can you imagine, like, the, the whole point of Jesus teaching and giving us all of this way, this way, this upside-down way, the point of all that is so that we would actually do it. You know, they have a word for people who hear things but don't actually do it. It's called hypocrites. In fact, it's the word that most people who wouldn't call themselves Christians call Christians. Because, my gosh, we have the Bible. It's all here. We go to church Right? We, we, we have Christian CDs and MP3s and Christian t-shirts and we're in a Bible study and we're in a small group. We hear so much, but oftentimes we do so little. And so the world looks at us and goes, really? Why would I want that? Because that just feels like more guilt. The point of hearing is doing. The point of hearing the words, the teaching, the wisdom of Jesus is that we would actually do it. Can you imagine can you imagine, like, buying the P90X DVDs, right? And you're so stoked because you paid way too much for them. And they come to your house in a box. You unpack it, and there's, like, multiple DVDs. And there's, like, you know, there's, like, books and, like, exercise plans. And so every morning you get up at 6 o'clock and put the DVD in and watch. <laughs> See, oh, that's a good squat. Wow. I bet that hurt. You know, like, can you imagine, like, and telling your friends, like, dude, I, I had such, wow, I watched the P90X uh, DVD today, this morning. Yeah, I've been doing it, like, five days a week. My, my, eye, my eyes are getting so much stronger. Like, you know, that's the same as hearing and not doing. It's that silly. And the world looks at a bunch of Christians who hear the word of God but don't actually take it seriously and don't actually do it and go, Oh, then you're a hypocrite. I get it. I totally get it. And you know what? Lots of times, guilty as charged. No excuse. Here we have the teachings, the wisdom, the word, the life of Jesus. We've heard it, but we do so little about it. What, what if he actually meant it? And what if we actually did it? What do you think would be different? Because here's the crazy thing. When you hear the words of Jesus and you actually apply them, the hard, challenging, difficult, life-giving, life-transforming, freeing words of Jesus, and you actually do them, here's something crazy that starts to happen. Doing leads to being. That's crazy. We talked about last week about how following can lead to faith and faith can lead to following. The point of hearing is doing, and the point of doing is being, that you would actually be like Jesus on this earth. It's so central to the vision of this church. We put it on our amazing coffee mugs. Be, the word is right there. Because we believe that to hear is great, but hearing is not enough. The point of hearing is doing. And ultimately, the point of doing isn't just to do religious activities. Because there's lots of people who fill up their calendar doing lots of religious things. Doing, ultimately, isn't even the point. The point is being. That you would be transformed. That you would be more like Jesus. That you would actually be more like who God created you to be. That's the point of hearing. And doing 
his being. What if he actually meant it? And what if we actually did it? And what if along the way we became the people of Jesus in this city? An upside down way of living that literally is so countercultural and counterintuitive that people look at this church and go, wait a second, that church is more generous. They're actually kind. They're not like fake kind. Like they're actually kind. They're not Christian kind. They're actually kind. They actually love and care about the students of Brown Elementary. They actually love and care about the people who live in the West Loop and the neighborhoods around in this entire city. Wait, they, they actually are serious about leveraging what God has given them seven days out of a week instead of just one. Like they're actually about forgiving each other and confessing their sin to God. Like what if he actually meant it and we actually did it? Can you imagine what that would change? I mean, can you imagine? That's kind of the whole point. And so what I want to do for the last few minutes here is I want to read over you some of the teachings of Jesus. And I want you to consider this. I want you to consider, like, what if he actually meant this? And what if I actually did this? It's hard. It's going to change some things. It might change the world. And so we're going to listen. I'm going to ask you as you do to, to consider, okay, sort of what, what, what do I need to do here? Maybe for some of you, like, I'm going to read some of these teachings to you. You've never heard these before. You're like, hey, that stuff's good. Like, you really, like, I've never heard this. There's, I, there's a ton of folks in this room. This is brand new stuff. And so the reason we have those Bibles under the seats, if you don't own a Bible, here's your homework. Steal one of ours. Now, I'm not talking about, like, Christians who you want to add to your collection, like trophy heads on a wall of all your Bibles <laughs> that you've conquered and highlighted, right? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to anyone here in this room who does not own a Bible. I'm telling you, the best next step leading up towards Easter is for you to steal one of ours and take it home with you and actually read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Any one of us would love to show you how to do that, where to start, and actually start to read these crazy, upside-down, radical, revolutionary teachings of Jesus and see what begins to change in your heart. And for some of us, the rest of us, the challenge for you will be to actually do them for you and I to actually commit ourselves to the way of Jesus. So let me read to you a few of the teachings of Jesus. And I'd ask you, if you would, please, to close your eyes, and uh, not in a sort of a churchy way, but in a, a free-yourself-from-distraction way. And uh, just close your eyes and let these words, these teachings, this upside-down kingdom of God speak to you right now. And as we do, consider, what, what if I were to actually not just hear this, but to actually do this? And what if, in the process of doing, I actually became more like Jesus and more of who he created me to be. These are the teachings of Jesus, several different ones. Listen as I read them over you now. Jesus said, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both evil and good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind to only your friends, how different are you from anyone else? Jesus said, 
you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first, you must be a slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus taught us, don't judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. So why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own? Don't be a hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from others. Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul in the process? Is anything worth more in this world than your soul? And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking And the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. For God so loved this world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son, Jesus, into this world not to judge it, but to save the world through him. Thank you, Jesus, for the words that you said and the words that have been said about who you are. Thank you, Jesus, that every time you opened your mouth, that every time you moved a muscle, you taught us about your Father God. You taught us about life in this upside-down kingdom here on earth. You taught us about who we actually are in you. Now, Jesus, I pray that we would not only be hearers, but doers. I pray that for myself, God. I do not want to be a hypocrite. I want to do what you say and in the process become who you created me to be, to be more like you. God, I pray that would be true of Soul City Church, that we'd not just be another church in the city, but God, this church would be a light to the city because we take you at your word seriously and we actually do it. Thank you, Jesus, for your teaching, for your truth, for how you show us the Father. In your name we pray, amen. And we're gonna move into a time of worship and as part of our worship, what we're gonna do right now is receive our offering. It's just our way of giving back to God, saying thanks to God. It's one of the many ways that we trust God. We acknowledge God's work in our life. So if you call God your father, you call this church your home, then we ask you to give. Give generously as God has already moved in your heart to do. If you're our guest, let it slide and let these words pour over you and then join us as we sing this truth about who God is.